0: Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Steven Maggi.
1: Las Vegas and Elvis Presley. The names go together. There's no question about it. And they really helped each other a lot. There's a fantastic book about it. It's called Elvis and Vegas, How the King Reinvented the Las Vegas Show by the great author Richard Zoglin, who writes for Time Magazine and also wrote a fantastic book about Bob Hope. Richard, it really was a case that uh, Elvis really needed Vegas at that point in his career. And really, as it turns out, Vegas sort of needed him.
2: Yeah. The 1960s were uh, kind of a tough time for Elvis. He had uh, not done any live performing through the entire 1960s except for a couple of uh, benefit performances in 1961. Colonel Parker, his manager, just decided he would be making movies and recording. And uh, as the rock cha- world was changing, the Beatles came along and everything, uh, Elvis was really nowhere. He was considered sort of over the hill. The movies were getting worse. The, uh, the songs, his songs were not making the, the charts anymore. And he was really looking for a reinvention and a, and a, a restart of his career. It kind of started with the 1968 uh, comeback special on NBC in December 1968, which sort of reintroduced Elvis to the American public, and then uh, in the summer of 69, uh, the colonel decided that he would return to live performing, and that they would do it in Las Vegas.
1: You know, and the sad part is that people don't remember that, really how great it is. That's why I think this book is so great. Eddie Murphy used to do a comedy bit, and it was very funny. It was an impression of Elvis. He said how he much he loved Elvis, and then when he gets old and fat, and people associated that with Las Vegas, but in reality, that was a great time in Elvis's career,
2: Absolutely, uh, that 1969 comeback show in Vegas. He was really at his peak as a live performer. He was trim. He was energetic. He was excited to be back in front of his fans again. He was so he was so frustrated not being able to perform live uh, for those last few years. And so, and then he went out and created an entire show from scratch. Picked a, a backup band. Put together the the set he was going to do, and. Uh, Uh, He he was just as good as he ever was, and I I want people to remember that. Yes, later on in Vegas, the shows got more bombastic and uh, Elvis uh, gained weight, and people sort of identified that that image of him, the overweight Elvis in the white jumpsuit with Vegas. But at the beginning, I want to remind people uh, he was never better and a dynamic, powerful stage performer.
1: Yeah, and what was cool about that, too, was he was at really at a high point in his career. Vegas, before that, was kind of known as a place where you kind of went when your career was at the end. Now, the Rat Pack were a big deal then, but right. completely they, they didn't take it seriously. They were joking around. He did take it seriously. That show was well done.
2: Right. And yes, you're right. Vegas was... Uh Vegas was going through its own changes in the 60s or having its own troubles uh, the, at the beginning of the 60s with Sinatra and the Rat Pack. Vegas was certainly the, the hottest place for live entertainment uh, in America. And everybody was there, all the nightclub singers, all the comedians, uh, the dancers. And uh, But as the 60s went on and the, the music scene started to change, the Beatles, the, the counterculture uh, revolution, uh, the Suddenly, Vegas was not so cool anymore, and the younger generation was not coming to Las Vegas, and the rock groups were not playing Las Vegas. So Elvis coming there was a, a big deal because he he kind of brought rock and roll onto the big stage in Vegas, really for the first time. Uh, there had been a there had been some rock and rhythm and blues. Uh, people who had done Vegas uh, during the 60s, but mostly in the lounges. But Elvis showed that a big rock concert-like show could work on the big showroom stage. It was a different kind of Vegas show. It was not the old, sort of more intimate nightclub-style show that Sinatra and that gang did. It was a big show in a big showroom, twice as big as any other in Las Vegas at the brand new International Hotel. And so I think it sort of was the beginning of a new chapter in Vegas entertainment.
1: Everybody talks about Vegas residencies. Lady Gaga now is a big thing. Before that, of course, Celine Dion. He was the guy that started this, though, right? Because people used to look forward to it and always sold out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Right, he his show. First of all, was four weeks, seven nights a week, two shows a night, not a single night off. Who does that anymore? Uh, But but you know, for four weeks to sell out every show, he was. uh, It was the biggest show uh, that Vegas had ever seen, and it showed. It also brought in a different kind of audience. It was more uh, people from a, a more middle American audience, people who hadn't necessarily been to Vegas before. They came to Vegas for Elvis, and he made the Vegas show an event and also a, a, an event for the whole family, I mean, for a, for a much broader audience, not the sort of traditional, sophisticated nightclub crowd. So that was the audience that Vegas would eventually discover. It took them a couple of decades, but when Vegas went through its own reinvention later on with the, the new hotels and the Cirque du Soleil shows, and then, you're right, the new residencies, starting with Celine Dion, uh, those were, I think, really, Elvis was the first of those kind of shows, and. And uh, those shows, of course, much bigger productions and in big, big auditoriums, uh, big showrooms. Uh, but, Vegas, uh, but Elvis was the first one to really do that kind of show in Vegas.
1: And he may be the savior of Las Vegas because his gambling has taken over all over the country to compete. Vegas had to do it differently. And you can see by some of the arenas they're building, Richard, uh, yeah. this whole idea of what Elvis did bringing people in for the show has kind of taken over
2: right and making making the show an event you know uh, Elvis's show he he after, after that uh, Comeback uh, engagement in 1969, the International Hotel signed into a five-year contract, the International, which later became the Hilton, and he would come back every six months for four weeks at a time. There would be the summer engagement and the winter engagement, and people, it was the first time, really, somebody had a regular kind of schedule in Vegas, so people knew they would plan their trips around Elvis, and I think that is kind of what the, the new residencies are now. People come uh, f- for uh, Lady Gaga or for, uh, you know, Sting or Aerosmith or whoever. They yeah. they know, they, they're... You know, back in the old days, in the early 60s, you'd, in the 50s and 60s, you'd come to Vegas and just whoever was playing, you know, there were so many people, you know, it was just right. packed with stars. You'd just come and if uh, Sinatra was there, fine. If he wasn't, you'd go see Sammy or Tony Bennett or Buddy Hackett. Uh, but later on, when the the stars sort of thinned out, and of course, in the 80s and 90s, the, the, the headliners kind of went away or, or were certainly in eclipse compared to the Cirque du Soleil spectacular Kind of shows and the Siegfried and Roy's, but now that they're coming back, um, there are fewer of them, but they're more of an event, and so people are kind of looking to uh, to the particular show that they want to see, and that's what they're organizing their trip to Vegas around.
1: Yeah, and I see Lady Gaga getting thousands of dollars for some of these seats. Aerosmith as well. One wonders what Elvis would have got had this been in in this economy.
2: Yeah, back then uh, in '69, he got $15 uh, for a ticket, uh, which inflation-wise, it was that was that was pretty high back then because Vegas had traditionally, of course, charged very little for the shows. The whole idea was to get people into the shows so they'd stay and, and gamble in the casinos, and that's where the hotels made their money, and that's how they could pay the top salaries in the country. Elvis was uh, but Elvis's show was reputedly the first one to actually make money on its own because it was a huge showroom compared to the others in Vegas, and so uh, they didn't need necessarily the big gamblers they just wanted people it was it was a volume <laughs> business so uh Elvis kind of turn things in a, in a different direction, turn the business model around.
1: And again, I think it's fantastic that you kind of change people's ideas about Elvis because in that time, you were mentioning, I forget how many, two, was it two shows a night, all those into yeah. seven days a week. He had to be in incredible shape to do
2: that. Right. And he had a great, you know, backup group. And he did this all on his own. He Here, he, he a guy who hadn't performed for most of a decade, and he's going into Las Vegas, creating a Las Vegas show. He didn't really have a director or a producer with any hands-on involvement. He just, you know, with a couple of friends, he just decided to he go out and pick. He chose a backup band. He uh, hired James Burton, one of the top guitarists, and they together they picked the rest of the backup band. Then he wanted not one, but two backup singing groups, male and female, a male gospel group and a... Um uh, a female soul group, the Sweet Inspirations. And then, plus an orchestra, the, the you know, the regular house orchestra, which was bigger than usual, more than 40 people. And so there were like 60 musicians on stage. It was just a huge, a sh- huge show for Vegas. And this was all Elvis is doing. The Colonel, Colonel Parker, originally, when he thought of bringing Elvis into Vegas, he was thinking of a kind of traditional Vegas show with showgirls around him and dance numbers. And, and Elvis said, no, this is what I want to do. He had in mind uh, a big rock concert-like show for the big showroom.
1: And he also was kind of expanding his music. For a while there, he was in those movies and they're doing the songs specifically written for the movies and so forth. Now he's doing In the Ghetto and some of those other songs that were pretty... Uh, different for him at that point
2: sure he, yeah he was starting to record that was uh, there was a recording session in Memphis the previous January where he recorded it was his probably the most important recording session of his career he had not been doing you know his his songs to the 60s were not uh, you know not much they were kind of very lightweight pop movie songs and a few other things and they weren't uh, even making the charts anymore so he goes to Memphis in January and he records songs like with a whole new group of songwriters and, uh, and um, uh, backup musicians, and he records In the Ghetto, which was a song written uh, by Mac Davis, interestingly enough, and he records Suspicious Minds, and he records Kentucky Rain, and these were the kind of big emotional ballads that became uh, a fixture in his repertoire. He introduced Suspicious Minds he had recorded in January, but he had not released the record. The, he, that was the kind of climax of his show in Vegas, a seven-minute version of Suspicious Minds uh, with Elvis just all over the stage, uh, knocking himself out, sweating out of breath. And that, uh, but nobody had heard that song before. That's where he introduced the song, and they released it right at the end of his Vegas engagement, and it became his first number one hit in seven years
1: incredible let's talk about his early days because we can't forget that he went to Vegas in the 50s and it didn't work what happened
2: yeah well, the reason I, I was surprised to find that out, right at the beginning, I started writing this book as a kind of a book about Vegas' golden age of entertainment, and I found out that Elvis had such a long connection with Vegas that I didn't really know about, starting in 1956, when he was just coming up. Uh, he had one hit, uh, hit uh, number on the radio, a heartbreak hotel, hadn't even done the Ed Sullivan show yet, but he was starting to get a lot of attention on TV and uh, the Colonel decided decided to put him into a Las Vegas show 19, in 1956 at the New Frontier Hotel on a bill with Freddie Martin's Orchestra and Shecky Green, of all things. Well, uh, this was not a kind of show that the you know the Vegas crowd in 1956 had any you know idea what it was. They just see this kid shaking his hips from Memphis. And he, he didn't do very well. The reviews were very mixed, and um, it, it was not a, a success. But Elvis loved Vegas. First of all, he, uh, he discovered uh, uh, a song there. He went to see a, a lounge group called Freddie Bell and the Bell Boys, who were doing a rock kind of version of Big Mama Thornton's song, Hound Dog. And uh, Elvis loved it and put it in his own show. And uh, and that's when he uh, recorded Down Dog, and that became his signature hit. And Elvis loved Vegas. He, he, uh, he would come back there often. It was like his favorite getaway. So all through the 60s, he was in and out of Vegas, seeing shows, picking up showgirls, just uh, having fun. He made Viva Las Vegas there, of course, in 63. He went. He married Priscilla there in 67. And so when it came time to return to live performing, uh, Vegas may have been an odd choice to some people, uh, the rock and roll crowd, but to Elvis, he was very comfortable there.
1: And fittingly, if you go to a Vegas Golden Knights game or whatever, the music tends to be kind of a hip hop range and dance music and stuff. But there's nothing like the song Viva Las Vegas. It's almost the official song of Vegas.
2: Yeah, I know. Uh, That was the, you know, that became the iconic uh, Vegas film. Uh, I'm, you know, I don't think it's a great film by any means, but that song just sort of perfectly captured the spirit of Vegas. The movie is good because uh, to, as, a, as a travelogue of Vegas in the city, right. You really get a good <laughs> glimpse of Vegas in 1963. You know, lots of scenes of the Strip and the, and the, sh- the showgirls and everything. It is uh, it's a fun movie to watch and a real time capsule.
1: Yeah, and Anne Margaret's always a pleasure to see. Oh yeah,
2: <laughs> and that was the first time he had had in his movie a real. Co-star who really held his own, held her own with him, uh, and even upstaged him a little bit. The Colonel was always uh, was very afraid that she was going to sort of steal a show from Elvis. But one it's a great uh, great performance by Anne.
1: One last thing about the book: Elvis in yeah. Vegas. It's great for people to want to hear about Vegas. I mean, I got I was fascinated by just on the subject of comedians. You're talking about when people like Bob Newhart, who at the time was considered extremely cool, had to change his act a little, which really kind of tells you about Vegas prior to Elvis's appearance.
2: Yeah, I did. I really think the book does two things. It's a story of Elvis and and his relationship with Vegas, and it's a story of Vegas and how it, it's its heyday years and how it was changing, and how, how what a, a great magnet it was for all the performers. As I, as you say, uh, the, you think of the Vegas comedians, the the, the traditional uh, lounge comedians, the Don Rickles and Checky Greens, and then you think of the Jack Carters, the sort of one liner guys, and. Then, but then I, 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 I saw almost every comedian played Vegas, Bob Newhart and Shelley Berman, guys who were sort of the new wave back then, who were considered more cerebral kind of comedians, not typical uh, Vegas comedians. Even Woody Allen played Vegas uh, near the end of the 60s at uh, Caesars Palace. Uh, Woody who actually, uh, you know, enjoyed doing Vegas? So even though he told me he was uh, always disappointed, he could never fill up the auditor- the, the showroom, and his first. Uh gig at, at Caesar's Palace. When it was done, he he was he felt so bad that he couldn't quite sell out the show. He offered to give back some of his salary, which has to be a Vegas first.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, Vegas is sort of an entertainment standard, if you, if you think about it. I mean, like Richard Pryor, one of the greatest comedians to ever live, and he said himself it was a place where he never really was able to truly be himself. So it's one of those places where It's one of those check marks of being a super-duper star.
2: Yeah. You know, guys like Richard Pryor and and George Carlin, who were really the new generation of comedians in the late 60s, and they had no sort of empathy with Las Vegas, but they still played it, because that was the place you had to play. That was a a sign of success. Uh, So, you know, even though they didn't feel uh, comfortable there, they did Las Vegas, and then they... They kind of departed Las Vegas because that's when things started to change college concerts and, and other arena shows be, were becoming the, the venue for comedians like that
1: Absolutely. and then I guess HBO came the final thing of
2: oh that. sure yeah. yeah And so then you know Vegas uh, you know Vegas was changing and then the, and the, the cl- whole culture was changing.
1: This is a fantastic book. It's Elvis in Vegas, How the King Reinvented the Las Vegas Show by Richard Zoglin, who's a great author. Your book on Bob Hope I absolutely loved. Oh, Uh, thank you. And uh, where can we get the book, Richard? I assume everywhere.
2: Sure, all the bookstores on Amazon uh, and, uh, yeah, pretty and, much everywhere. There's an audiobook and a Kindle and all that. And do you, so, have, do you have a website, too? I do, richardsoglin.com. Easy to find.
1: We will go there, Richard. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it okay. talking to you today.
2: Great to be with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you.
1: Make sure to follow Vegas Never Sleeps on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Manchie reminding you, Vegas never sleeps.
2: Oh, Vegas, here we
1: go! Here's a great way to save money on your prescription medications. If you take Viagra or Cialis, we can give you a way to pay as little as $2 a pill. Call Pharmacy Shop 24-7 to get generic versions of Viagra or Cialis for as little as $2 a pill, plus free discreet shipping.
0: 800-622-8802, 800-622-8802, 800-622-8802. That's 800-622-8802.
2: Do you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes? Are you being audited or investigated? Has the IRS sent you a letter demanding payment? You may not owe what they claim. Make this free call to the tax doctor now. Let them negotiate with the IRS on your behalf. Call 800 605 4650 That's 800-605-4650.
0: Are you in bad pain? You know what I mean. Your knees hurt. Your shoulder hurts. Your elbow and back are constantly killing you. And I'm sure you've tried every pain pill or cream available at the drugstore. Am I right? Well, here's something you haven't tried. Pain Magic. Pain Magic is not available at any drugstore. The only place you can get it is by calling the special toll-free number I'm about to give you. And to make things even better, call right now and find out about our buy one, get one free offer. We're so confident it'll work for you that we offer a free bottle with your purchase. No prescription required. Call now to learn how you can get pain magic and get rid of your pain. Remember, your results may vary. 800-419-1971. 800-419-1971. 800-419-1971. That's 800-419-1971.